This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guests are Anadea Judith and Lion Goodman. Anadea holds a doctorate in mind-body health and a master's in clinical psychology. She's also one of the world's leading authorities on the chakra system, the energetic system that runs through the core of the body and contains seven primary centers or spinning wheels of energy that are located from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. Anadea is the author of the Chakra Classics, Wheels of Life, and Eastern Body, Western Mind. She's also a psychotherapist and yoga teacher. Lion Goodman is a co-founder of Luminary Leadership Institute, which guides business and organizational leaders to manifest their life purpose and fulfill their destiny. With Sounds True, Anadea and Lion have co-authored a new book called Creating on Purpose, The Spiritual Technology of Manifesting Through the Chakras, where they present a comprehensive, systematic method for realizing your highest aspirations through a rich study of the inner self, the outer world, and how to connect the two to bring into reality your true dreams. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Lion and Anadea and I spoke about how our beliefs are held in our subconscious and how they can be released through a process Lion has pioneered called the belief closet process. We also talked about the most common energetic blockages in the chakra system that impede the manifestation process. We also talked about the key difference between successful and unsuccessful people and how you can find a vision for your life when you're not clear on what your vision is. Here's my conversation with Anadea Judith and Lion Goodman. To begin with, I'd love to know how the two of you started working and teaching together and how you came together to, quote-unquote, create on purpose. Hmm. Well, I had been teaching about the chakras for many years uh, when I met Lion, and Lion had been working with beliefs, and um, I invited him to one of my manifestation workshops saying, well, why don't you do a little piece on on your belief work? And it was fabulous. And so the next year when that was coming up again, we just decided to plan the workshop from the start. We completely overhauled it with his input, and we taught it together for many years. Mm-hmm. 
I'm curious if the two of you have a sense of partnership and manifestation and the role of partnership and how two beings come together and even what that coming together might look like through the chakras in order for two people to work together and create. One of the original titles that we had for the book was Co-Creating Heaven on Earth. And one of the important concepts we have is that all creation is co-creation. That even if you're an artist, you are buying materials made by someone else. There's always someone else involved in any creation. And so an important aspect of the creative process is to find out who you're in relationship with and how you're going to work with them. And we use many analogies in the book, but the the real important fact is that all creation is co-creation. And we really did do this as a partnership. And when Sounds True first uh, came to me about doing this book, because I had been teaching it with Lion and the workbook that we had created, uh, that we used to use before this, was created by both of us, and I said, you know, I can't really write this without Lion. It would be a whole different book. I mean, half this material is his. So it's been a partnership from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'd love to go in and talk some about the chakras and the creative process, and part of the map that you lay out in the beginning of the book, Creating on Purpose, is the idea that every human being has an ascending and descending current of energy in the body. And I know often when people are introduced to the chakra system, they're introduced to an ascending current starting from the bottom and working the way up through the chakras in the body. So talk a little bit about this descending current and help our listeners understand how we each have both. Well, as vertical beings that stand up on our hind legs, Um, the chakras do run in a vertical column. And I often speak of the chakras as the rainbow bridge between heaven and earth. But any bridge has traffic going in two directions. You know, it could be northbound and southbound. In this case, it's up and down. So the question is, we have spent our lives trying to get to higher consciousness and following spiritual teachings and, and all that, you know, people are about these days, is as we approach that higher consciousness, and I don't think there's one place where you get there, I think it's a constant, ongoing process, what then? And that we are really being asked at this time in evolution to turn around and make a difference on the planet, which involves coming back down to earth and taking the fruits of our higher consciousness out through our chakras, if you will, to actually manifesting, changing, creating in the world outside. And the ancient texts actually do talk about this downward current. They call it bukti, which is a Sanskrit word for enjoyment. It's how consciousness densifies to the different planes so that we can actually enjoy the process of life. We can enjoy what we see and hear and touch and taste. This really is a combination of the more spiritual, you know, elevate yourself into higher states uh, history, and also the uh, law of attraction manifest whatever you want history. So we've got the more Western, create what you want, go out and build something, uh, create something, manifest something. Uh, but we need both. We need both elements of the, the rising current and the descending current to be balanced. And uh, the Tantra, which means loom, means you have 
threads going both ways. You can only build a fabric by integrating both and, not either or. Now, Lion, I just want to understand when you mentioned the law of attraction, of course, you know, that's a kind of buzzword and gets people's hackles up in all kinds of ways. What do you mean? What is your understanding of that? Well, first of all, we've studied all of the laws of metaphysics, and the law of attraction is one of about 50 of them that we've identified. And uh, it's been taken out of context to point to this idea that if you focus and think about something, you will attract it into your life. Well, it has some truth, but uh, there's as many as many other laws to think about as as that one. And uh, one of the things I like to say is that nobody ever had a bag of money fall in their head while meditating or saying affirmations. So action is needed to create things in the social world. And uh, there's a lot of people who are frustrated and their hackles raised exactly because uh, there's a bit of foolishness um, along that line of thinking. So our process uh, uses the entire world, everything from thought down to physical matter, in order to manifest. It's not just um, a simplistic view of uh, think it and it will show up. Mm -hmm. Now, Anadea, you mentioned the descending current as a current of enjoyment, bukti. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, creating, manifesting, you know, yes, it can be enjoyable, but it can also be like a lot of gosh darn gritty work, hard work, you know, pushing a boulder work. You know, it's not, Mm -hmm. help me make sense of this idea of this descending current as enjoyment. Well, the idea in the old text was that consciousness condenses as it comes down into matter, and it goes from pure thought to light, from light to sound, from sound to air, to fire, to water, and to earth. And so it's a step-by-step process of condensation. And through that, we get, you know, sort of the manifestation of the 10,000 things, if you will, that we get to see and enjoy and actually be in our senses and be in our body and enjoy. I have called this the current of manifestation instead of just the current of enjoyment because it takes it all the way down to the root chakra and says this is where things crystallize or concretize um, from the thought plane. And so it's through the things that are created that we enjoy life. Now, it's interesting you say that manifestation can be hard work because one of our names for the workshop we taught for so many years was Creation is Ecstasy. And then the subtitle was, It's the Blocks That Are a Pain. And when you get the blocks out of the way, creation really is ecstasy, like playing a song on the piano that you know well and letting the music come through you, uh, you know, being in a play, dancing, uh, singing. These are creative pursuits that are really ecstatic once we get the blockages out of the way. And so a lot of the book is about removing those obstacles with different techniques to unblock the chakras so the creative process is ecstatic. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to just see if I can understand a little better when you were talking about how energy moves from thought to light, and then you went through the elements. And as you were going through the elements, I actually got a little confused about how does a thought move through those stages of the elements? Oh, well, this reflects our our, our, uh, manifestation principles that we have in the book, that we start with consciousness creates. And so you start with an idea, 
and Lion, you can pipe in on this too, then we visualize it. You know, first it's just an abstract idea, I want to build a house, but then I start looking at houses and I start looking at architectural magazines and I make pictures in my mind. So we say vision vitalizes. And then we take it to somebody and we talk to them about it. We talk to an architect or a city planner or something, and then we are in the conversation. The conversation catalyzes. And each step, it gets a little more clarified, a little more specific, a little more detailed. Then we bring it down into relationship, uh, and we say love enlivens. And then there's things we have to do. We say power produces, second chakra is pleasure pleases, and matter matters. And these are different manifestation principles that if you follow those, each one enhances the manifestation process. And those are connected to the elements that you mentioned, to earth and water and fire? Yes. Can you and explain that part? those are connected to the elements associated with the chakras. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it sounds to me like really the leverage point of change, if you will, is understanding the blocks that are in the seven different energy centers of the body that are in the chakras. And I'm wondering if you could go through the seven chakras and what the most common blocks are to the free flow of manifestation through us, what you found in your work with people. Mm -hmm. Lion? Yes, I'll begin. Um, In the realm of consciousness, the biggest blocks come in the form of beliefs. Uh, I teach a whole practice of changing beliefs, how to change beliefs at the core of the psyche. But we know that beliefs create our reality. And so if you have a belief that, for example, I can't create or I can't change or it'll always be the same, uh, that's going to block whatever you want to create. Uh, And these beliefs can operate at every and any level. So at the level of the third chakra of will, um, I can't do it is a belief that would prevent you from acting on your own behalf. Um, if you have a block at the at the fourth chakra in the heart, uh, the belief might be, I'm all alone. And so beliefs are the, the biggest block, in my way of thinking, to the manifestation process. And it's important to understand what beliefs you have, how they're affecting you, and then engage in a process of changing those beliefs so that you can remove the block and thereby move forward. So, Lion, let's just take that a little further. How do you change beliefs at their roots, not just at the surface of, you know, uh, so I'm not, instead of saying I can't do it, I'm going to say I can do it. I mean, how do you get deeper into the I can't do it belief and how it's been constructed inside? Well, this is my favorite topic, so thank you for asking. Um, I created a process called the belief closet process in order to do just that. If you think about affirmations, uh, this actually dates back into the 30s, that, that somehow you can affirm or declare a new reality. Um, it, it's sort of like beating on a weed to make it go away. Um, it, the weed is offended, but it, doesn't, it just keeps regrowing. So in order to remove a belief from the subconscious mind, you, actually, you have to engage the subconscious mind itself in the process. And so in the belief closet process, we use a visualization that enables you to actually invite the subconscious out to play, and it understands what you're doing. And essentially, you move into the state of consciousness of creator of your beliefs rather than victim of them. 
And even though our beliefs have been indoctrinated into us in large part, or that we took them on when we were young as a conclusion, uh, the belief closet process enables you to reach down and pull the weed up by the roots so that it doesn't grow back. And once you do that, you have cleared ground. It's like if you're going to plant a garden, you want to clear the ground before you plant new new food. Uh, so when, once you have clear ground, then when you implant a new belief, it grows without interference and without resistance. So um, I'm just be curious to hear a little bit more about what you mean when you say in this belief closet process, the subconscious comes out to play and it comes out to play and it just spontaneously releases this deeply held negative belief? I mean, how does that work? Well, in the process, we we take our clients through a visualization that enables them to create in the imaginal realm a closet in which they can try on beliefs, feel what they feel like, and choose whether they want to keep them or let go of them. And so um, through that process, a person can find out what belief they have, what impact it's had on their life, recognize the the point at which they took it on as a belief, and then choose to get rid of it. And so it is a visualization process. It's guided by a belief closet practitioner. And in the process, you're engaged with a subconscious mind, because most of our early beliefs were taken on before we had words. So in order to get to that deep level of the belief, you have to be able to talk to the subconscious mind in images and sounds and feelings, because that's the language that it speaks, just like it speaks in our night dreams with images and points of view and and very creative um, changes. Uh, That's the level that that this process works in. Mm -hmm. That's very helpful. So it's both visualization and feeling it in your body. So you might put on an outfit that represents the feeling, I'm not good enough, or there's something wrong with me, and so the outfit might be, you know, very rough cloth or full of holes or misbuttoned or something, and then you feel in your body, what is it like to wear this outfit? What is it like to wear this belief? And you can actually get sensations in your body, and that's a way of getting it down to the subconscious level. And people find that the sensations in their body change radically when they imagine taking off that belief, getting rid of it completely, trying on something else that's a completely different belief and feeling what that feels like. And so it's engaging the intellect, the visualization, and the sensation at the same time. That's very helpful. And that helps me answer this question of one of the most common blocks that you're identifying here in the seventh chakra at the level of consciousness, our beliefs. What are the other blocks and the other chakras that you see people most often encountering in your work? Well, in the sixth chakra, I see blocks in the imagination. People can't think outside the box. They have trouble thinking about something that they haven't already seen somewhere that hasn't been pre-approved. And so really to fire up the imagination and open up the powers of visualization. And so we have an exercise in the book that we take from Alice in Wonderland, Think of Six Impossible Things Before Breakfast, um, which is something that Alice said she did in Wonderland. Um, And it's just to, you know, the idea of thinking of something impossible is just to free up your mind from its usual constriction so you get your creative process going. And once you, you know, there's... In the imagination realm, 
we can think of anything. There are no limits. There are limits when you come down to actually manifesting it. But I can imagine, you know, flying to the moon and having a party there. You know, it doesn't mean I can actually do it. But just to begin to embellish that opens up the imaginative, creative process in the brain. And then in the fifth chakra, a lot of the blocks are internal voices. Um, those voices that we hear are saying, you're not doing it right, you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes, everybody else is smarter than you are. And those, you know, they hang out above your computer when you're trying to write, they hang out on the telephone receiver when you're making cold calls, they, you know, they, uh, they plague everybody to some degree or another. So we have some techniques for kind of routing out those voices. Lion, you want to take the next couple? Sure. Um, in in the heart chakra, uh, in relationships, um, people have a lot of blocks in terms of how to be with other people. A lot of these come from our early childhood bonding, uh, how we related to our parents, how they related to us. And so the blocks are often uh, in the form of, you know, I can't ask for what I need. I, I don't even know what I need from other people. Or if I ask, I'll be rejected. So in the book, we have exercises for uh, breaking through this and actually finding out that you can ask for what you need and get it if you give feedback. And, and it's a wonderful exercise that allows people to find out that, that in a relationship, they can ask for and get what they need. And that's so important mm. in the manifestation process is just being able to ask. Mm. And then in the third chakra the main block is the blocks to our will and our will staying focused on the task. And especially in today's complicated world, I mean, I know for me, I sit at my desk and, you know, the emails come rolling in hundreds a day and the phone rings and I need to do this and this and this and this. And, you know, maybe I'm trying to write. Maybe I'm trying to, you know, get something done on, on the website. Um, it's so easy to get distracted and many people in the manifestation process, again, you know, with this law of attraction, oh, I'm just going to think about it and it's going to happen. And they go, oh, you mean I have to do something? You mean I have to get up in the morning and actually go to this dream job I had? I have to, you know, for me, there's some things I don't like about my work. I love teaching and I don't like getting up at three in the morning to go catch a plane, you know. But um, there are things you have to do. And so how do you keep your will on track in the face of all these distractions? And, um, you know, the will has different agendas. You know, I will to stay on a diet, but, oh, that piece of chocolate cake looks so good. How do we keep it on track? That's the block in the third chakra. And really owning our will and igniting our will. Let's keep going. Let's go down to the second and first chakra. Lion? <laughs> sure. Um Chakra 2, our principle is pleasure pleases. And because of our Western culture's attitude toward pleasure, a lot of people walk around with guilt and shame about experiencing pleasure. And since pleasure is one of our main drivers, we have to be able to align pleasure and reward with the things we want to create, including the hard work, as you were saying, the pushing the rock up the hill. You, know, it's, it, you actually can feel really good after a hard day's work, a hard day's labor. So finding and removing the, the guilt blockages is really important in the second chakra. So it's okay to feel good. You know, it feels good to feel good, and, and we wouldn't have been given pleasure if God wanted us to suffer all the time. 
So uh, removing guilt is one of the most important parts of of, uh, Chakra 2. And then passion is another part of Chakra 2, just the desire, the deep desire to make a difference in the world. And so much of of our culture focuses on our selfish um, aggrandizement that when you recognize that what you're doing really has a benefit for the world, for others as well, then that can also get past that that guilty feeling of I just want for me, 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 and actually recognize that what you're doing will have a positive impact on others as well. I might add here that when you talk about the law of attraction, we actually feel that the law of attraction is what attracts people to what you're doing. You know, if someone wants to manifest a business, they want to attract customers. If they want to manifest a healing practice, they want to attract clients. If somebody's looking for love, they want to attract a mate. Um, you know, if you've got a business, you might want to attract invest- investors. So that in every uh, process, you actually have to attract things. So the law of attraction says that people are attracted to what they think is going to bring them pleasure or a positive experience. You know, you wouldn't go to a movie if I said, oh, you got to go see this movie, it's terrible. <laughs> um, you know, I say, you got to go to this movie, it's going to be really beautiful scenery or it's going to make you laugh. Um, it's going to make you jump off your seat, and then you go, yeah, yeah, that sounds like I'll have a good experience. So the law of attraction is attracting people into pleasure, and that in every manifestation we have to make it fun. We have to make it enjoyable, or we won't even stick with it. So that kind of balances the hard work of of Chakra 3. And then in Chakra 1, it is about completion. A lot of people don't complete things. They do it almost the way to the end. And, you know, for instance, if we turned our book into Sounds True and said, oh, yeah, well, we did it all, but we left out Chapter 4, you know, you wouldn't want to publish it. You'd say, well, that's not a complete manuscript. So things have to be completed all the way through. And if you complete each step, eventually you will get your manifestation. So it's putting things in the concrete, in the planning. Yes, I will do that on Wednesday at 1 o'clock. And I will, you know, we had a deadline, and so we were going to get it into you by a certain date. So, you know, we do this all the time. We say, I'll be at an appointment by 9 o'clock in the morning, and we move our reality to get there. So first chakra is getting into the real nuts and bolts of the specifics, making a plan, committing to it, keeping that commitment through to completion. One of the reasons business has been so successful in the world uh, and and drives the economy is that business people know how to get things done mm-hmm. and they know how to make appointments they know how to make plans they know how to take step-by-step actions that move a project forward and so that's a, a big part of of this chapter and, and chakra one in the manifestation is knowing how to make a plan take the step-by-step movements that carry you forward and then getting the rewards of each step feeling really good and celebrating, which is the final step, uh, each step of the way. So we have had a celebration when our book came out. So celebrating is actually follows up on on the first chakra. It's the final step where you get to go, ah, it's done. You actually get to receive the pleasure of it happening. So uh, so chakra one leads to the the final completion of that of that action. Now, as you were both describing the activity in the chakras and what the blocks might be, and you were taking us all the way from consciousness, the seventh chakra, down 
to the first chakra, completion, you know, I could track right with you and I could actually identify with most of the blocks you were talking about, at least at some point in my life to some level. But the thing that I don't really understand, and I think this, you know, reveals my lack of understanding about the chakras, but I'm going to keep going here because I'm going to presume that some of our listeners may be in a similar situation is, what does it mean to say that the block is in the chakra? Like, what does that mean? Well, the chakra, you know, the way I describe it is that we are born, you know, divine beings, and we don't know much about the world. We come in as these helpless little creatures that then grow a body and learn how to talk and walk and deal with the world. And as we do, we start to defend this precious divine energy inside. And we protect it either from toxic energy outside that we don't want to have get in, Or maybe we're taught by our parents that there's something toxic inside, like our anger or our tears, that isn't supposed to get out. So we actually create blocks in the chakras to block the outside from getting in and the inside from getting out. And then we grow up through life with these blocks, and we don't know, you know, why is the light not really coming in? Or why is what I'm trying to say not getting across? Or why is my love not meeting a match? Or why are my efforts to do something not being successful in what I'm trying to do? It could be in any chakra. And it's these blocks in the chakras. And in the manifestation process, it is really largely what is inside us that we're trying to manifest that gets blocked in its expression on any chakra level. But we also need help from the universe, from other people, from other conversations, uh, from spirit itself. And if we're blocked in letting that in, then we're only getting a portion of the help that we could actually get. So we need to clear that block so we can actually receive support, receive guidance, um, and, you know, blocks into our expression and our will and our passion and our power. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the chakras are uh, physical, or they can be identified as, as physical uh, plexes of nerves or, or hormonal elements. For example, the third eye is well known to be the, the pineal gland in the brain. The heart and the solar plexus are nerve plexes, uh, very complex systems of nerves uh, uh, in the body. Now, so you you can point to physical locations of these chakras that are seen by some people as energy swirls or vortexes. Uh, chakra actually means wheel, a spinning wheel of energy. Uh, but they're also useful as metaphors. And so we use them both ways. We both point to the energetic centers in the bodies and also the metaphors of what they represent. So when we say that you have a block in your chakra, we may be talking about a physical block that slows down the energy, but we also may be talking about a metaphorical block that is preventing you from communicating, for example, in the throat chakra. And of these seven different chakras and the blocks that you've identified, what do you see as the most difficult for people to work with? Well, I actually see that it's the first chakra in many ways that um, people are very disembodied. They're very out of their bodies, in a sense. And you might say, what? What does that mean? How can you be out of your body? Where are you going to be? But, you know, we have jobs that keep us at computers, and we live up in our head, 
and we have been taught to suppress our feelings, which is a little more second chakra, but feelings are very connected with sensations in the body. And so we live lives that are not fully connected with the body. And in this first chakra blockage of really bringing things all the way down to our roots, you know, collectively that shows up um, in massive first chakra crises. We have environmental crises, we have healthcare crisis, we have an economic crisis. Those are all first chakra issues that are in the collective. So I think that's one of the major blocks, that people don't know how to properly ground and root into the organic nature of the earth and their bodies. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm at the other end, so <laughs> I see the most common blocks at, at the level of the seventh chakra in consciousness in the belief field. So I have seen in all my clients that it's beliefs that are blocking action, blocking communication, blocking relationship, blocking feelings, and by getting to the source of those blocks, which I see as a belief issue, uh, clearing the belief allows the energy to move again and allows people to break through whatever issue they're stuck on. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. If you're interested in listening to previous episodes of Insights at the Edge, they're all available for free in a searchable database as part of our new direct access membership program. For more information, please visit soundstrue.com forward slash direct access. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, there's an interesting quote from the book, Creating on Purpose, that I'd like to read and then have you both comment on. And in the book, you write, the difference between successful people and those who aren't successful is how they deal with resistance. Yeah, I'll start by speaking about resistance itself. Um, In the chakra system, as we go from pure consciousness which basically has no limits. You can think of anything. It doesn't take up time or space. When you bring it into light, it gets a little denser. Sound is denser. Air is denser. You know, fire, water, earth. You you reach a level of resistance as you come down into the next plane. In the same way that, like, a meteor comet coming through the sky hits the atmosphere, it has more resistance than interstellar space and then it goes through the atmosphere and hits the ocean and that's more dense so it has more resistance and then goes through the water and hits the bottom of the ocean and has more resistance as people bring their ideas down into visualization or into conversation or into relationship or into action they meet resistance at each level because it gets a little more difficult you have a little more entanglement I can think of anything I want in my own head. It's not anybody else's business. But, you know, if I start telling you about what I want, you say, well, wait a minute, that's not what I want, and that's not going to be possible. And then I start manifesting it in the world, and people say, well, you have to have a certain amount of money to do that. So resistance is not only internal. Resistance is there as we come into the complexity of the world. And... um 
it's there no matter who you are and no matter what you do. Any manifester will encounter blockages when they say, I want to go do something. And what we're seeing is that successful manifestation is people that don't get stopped by that resistance. And they say, well, this is just an obstacle to handle. This doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to do it. It's just something I have to deal with. Lion? There's a little-known uh, rule of mind, which is really important to know, and we teach this in our class and in the book, that whenever you create something new, whether it's an idea, a declaration, an affirmation, a thought, what happens inside the mind is that all of the previous beliefs that are in contrast to that new belief or new creation jump up and reassert themselves. So if you say, I'm going to make five phone calls today to new potential clients, what happens is all the old beliefs and the old voices pop up and say, well, they're busy. You don't want to call them. Um, besides, who wants to hear from you? Uh, wouldn't it be better to go eat a piece of cake right now? And so what stops people in more often than anything are these old beliefs and old voices that come up that are really coming up automatically like machinery. And so we teach people that these responses, these these countercurrents, we call them, cross currents, uh, are are automatic. They're natural, and you simply need ways of dealing with them. And that way, they don't stop you. They don't prevent you from moving forward. And what is it that you recommend people do when they experience these cross currents? Well, one exercise we do though is to ask them to actually exaggerate their cross currents because they are there in consciousness. That part of you that says oh, you're not smart enough to do that, or you don't have what it takes, or you're too old, or whatever. They exist, but they exist just under the radar. And so if people actually almost act them out and exaggerate them and express them out loud, what we find is they lose their energy. And then someone will turn around and say, wow, I don't even feel that anymore, because they actually got a chance to express it and release it, and in a sense make a cartoon of it, make fun of it a little bit. Now, I'd be curious to know on a more personal level for both of you. Both of you are people who have manifested a lot in your life and are currently manifesting a lot. What were some breakthrough moments for you in discovering your own obstacles to manifestation and then how to release those obstacles? That's a great question. (laughs) I have to think about that a moment. What were some obstacles Well, certainly beliefs. You know, I was fortunate in that I have an older brother who made good. You know, he was a a Hollywood comedian, movie star, whatever. And when I grew up, I thought, um, oh, gosh, you know, people you see on TV, those are people you never meet. But that was actually my own flesh and blood. And what that gave me was the belief that if I was the same flesh and blood as he was, same parentage, same gene pool, then I had just as much ability to make something in my life as he did. Now, whether flesh and blood has anything to do with it or it's just sheer determination, the belief was instilled in me by that when I was like in high school. And I carried that belief that I could do more than the average. And I think that belief has really propelled me through. That's interesting, though, Anadea, because that's an example of something where this positive belief helped to propel you through. But what I'm curious about is the discovery of something that was really an obstacle, something that was really keeping you 
mm-hmm. from your fullness, and then somehow you worked through it and discovered that. Yeah. Well, I can speak to that, and I, I actually work through it every day, is that I got a very debilitating case of Lyme disease, and I was an uh, up-and-coming international yoga teacher flying around the country, you know, putting my body into corkscrew shapes, and it hit everything having to do with um, any of that. It hit my ability to think and balance and and be strong and be flexible, and I had to. I have to work through that. I mean, it's still in my body some, and I have to work through it every day. And what I do is I give more energy to what I want to do, and I allow. I take very good care of myself, and I keep it kind of under wraps if I do. And I notice that when I'm doing something I really enjoy, I have less symptom than when I'm not. So I actually use it as a barometer to kind of give me guidance, and uh, I honor it as a way to bring me deeper into my body and practice more self-care. So I honor it as an ally in a way, but I don't put the energy in that. I put the energy in what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Lion? I've been a student of consciousness uh, since I was a teenager. In fact, my degree is in consciousness studies uh, back in 1975. And so I've studied and studied and studied with teachers and organizations and institutes and schools uh, forever. And uh, that drove me for a long time. And I finally realized that I was doing all of that studying and inner work because I had the belief uh, at a very deep level there's something wrong with me. I'm broken and I need to be fixed. And it went along with another belief, which is I don't know enough. So I was like a a hungry ghost when it came to knowledge and studies and spirituality and psychology and everything I could get my hands on. And when I realized that I was operating on those very deep beliefs, uh, I changed the beliefs using the process that I, I now teach. And I realized I'm, I'm not broken. I'm a being in process. I'm a, a learning being. And I actually do know enough to share my knowledge. And uh, those shifts allowed me to start being a teacher and, uh, and a coach and a therapist and help other people, even though I'm not perfect. You know, I'm, I'm as perfect as I am, and that's okay. So it allows me to keep going and now give my gifts instead of hold them back. Now, there's one other quote from the book that I'd like to read and have you both comment on. Here it is. If we could only make one recommendation that would improve your life. So this is a big statement. If we could only make one recommendation that would improve your life, it would be to hone and improve your integrity. That is your willingness to make and keep commitments to yourself and others. I feel that if someone did everything in the book, but they did not keep their commitments to themselves or they did not bring integrity into what they were doing, that the the value of what they were doing would not last. You know, it's like if you build a house and you build it with integrity, it's built to last. If you build it with rotten lumber or you just throw it together, it's not going to hold up. And that integrity is really the foundation of everything we do. And in building a new world, integrity has to be the foundation of what our new world is built on. And that is agreements with each other and honesty. And, um, you know, integrity brings wholeness. In fact, integrity means whole. 
integral means whole and connected. And when you are able to make a promise and keep it, and you know that you will keep it, then you trust yourself. And when someone else makes a promise to you and you know that they will keep it, you trust them. And that doesn't mean stuff doesn't happen. You know, you make an appointment with someone and they call and say, gee, I can't make it, something occurred. That's okay, but at least they're communicating about the breakdown. If you can't trust someone, you you can't rely on them, you can't lean on them, you can't know that it'll be taken care of. And the same is true about yourself. If you can't trust yourself, you can't be sure that you will get things done and do what you say you're going to do. So integrity is the the honing process, and it's never done. We're always sharpening that edge of being able to know what you promised, keep track of what you promised, keep your promises, and move things forward. That's how the world gets moved. And so that is the, the single most important process in the book and in life, because when you are a person who is trustworthy, other people trust you, you get more responsibility, you're able to handle larger and larger projects and things and groups of people, and uh, it is uh, it is crucial to creating in the world. I'm curious what you both think about this, the word manifestation and the word manifesting. I noticed that post the whole law of attraction popularity that I've developed a type of allergy to the word mm-hmm manifesting or manifestation. And yet here you are, you're both using it, I'll use the word, with a lot of integrity. And I wonder, how do you think we can reclaim the word manifesting? Uh, I think, you know, I had the same resistance. You know, it's like, oh, law of attraction and how to get more money and a bigger house and, you know, very selfish kind of dreams. That's not what I wanted to be in support of. I mean, it's not that I'm against people doing that, but that's not the main thrust of what we're doing here on this planet. And so, you know, we looked for another word, and there really isn't one, because manifestation is actually bringing something into being all the way down to where you have something that exists that didn't exist before. And, um, you know, the way I counter this, you know, rather cheap way of looking at it is that if we come top down in the chakras then we actually begin with highest consciousness we begin with opening to spirit opening to guidance uh opening to the wonders of the infinite universe and working down from the top you get to like what's my contribution to the world before you even get to what you do there's a quote we have in the book that says um Vision without action is nothing but a daydream, but action without vision is a nightmare. And when you put them together, you have vision and the action to uphold it. But you start with a vision. You don't go into your action before you have a vision. So by turning it around and saying we begin in higher consciousness, I think it brings a higher level to everything that we're manifesting. Whereas in the world, just get more money and you know do more, see more, be more, on that sort of lower chakra level, if it doesn't have the higher chakras incorporated into it, it's rather flat and can lack integrity. Mm-hmm. If you think about business, uh, everything that you see around you in, in your environment that's man-made was made by somebody, and it was uh, sold by somebody and bought by somebody, and it was thought up by somebody. And so 
you could look around and say, well, the world itself, everything that's that's human made, uh, was manifested. Now you could use another word like manufactured, but that doesn't quite capture the whole process. Uh, and so we do use the word created, creating on purpose in our title, because we are creating the world. Uh, Stuart Brand, who started the Whole Earth Catalog, said, we are as gods, so we might as well get good at it. And so we are godlike in a sense that we can create our reality, we can create the life we want, and it's not a, a magic, it's simply the process that works to take an idea and move it all the way through to a reality, whether it's a product idea, a service idea, or a big project like, like saving the world or ending hunger. You know, we talked a lot about the obstacles to manifestation, and I'm curious as we come to the conclusion of our conversation, if you think of the greatest manifestors you know and the people who have just really excelled in your workshops and you're like, okay, that person's kicking it. They're really going to create a lot in the world. What are the qualities that they have? Passion. Commitment. Vision. Lion, go ahead, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, they actually have all of the virtues that, uh, that a person has to create good in the world. So um, we have them in different quantities, but think of any of the virtues um, that, that we've just mentioned and align them with the chakras, and you have essentially a good person who's doing good in the world. They're not just selfish. They're not just out for themselves. They're out for something greater. They're connected to something larger than themselves, whether it's spirit or God or, or, or the higher powers. Um, the virtues themselves are a form of higher power. So um, the people who are manifesting well are creating a better life for themselves and for other people. They have a vision of a world they want to live in. Heaven on earth is what we were calling it. Um, and they're willing to put their life on the line. You know, people in the past worked hard for their families and their children. Our, our life is as good as it is because of our grandparents and great-grandparents who worked their butts off in order to make a better life. And we have the same obligation to our children and our children's children and, and the world as a whole. Now, this mention of the term heaven on earth, what would you say to somebody who says, oh, come on, guys, heaven on earth? That's never going to happen. Look around us. Look what kind of situation we're in. I mean, doesn't that seem a little exaggerated to think that we could actually work together to create heaven on earth? Well, well I, I believe heaven on earth is possible, that we were given a planet that is, you know, I mean, if you go into the wilderness and you see how beautiful everything is and how perfect it is and how perfect nature balances everything out, that it really has, we have been given a heaven. And that in so many spiritual traditions, the earth or the lower planes have been denigrated. You know, the body has been denigrated. The earth has been denigrated. It's all about, oh, we need to get out of this material stuff and go up to spirit. And I think that has created the dissociation that has given us the problems that we have today. And by correcting that and saying, no, that the earth and the lower planes are just as spiritual as the upper planes, that's all spirit is infused at every level. They're just different forms of levels of manifestation, different forms of density. Then we can actually bring some of the principles 
the spiritual principles that operate behind everything into our day-to-day workings, and we can start to create heaven on earth. And a simple example is bringing beauty into your workplace. You know, put flowers on your desk, bring in beautiful art, dress beautifully so you're pleasing to people that see you. It just creates everything a little nicer. Um, you know, how do we treat our partner? How do we treat our friends, our coworkers? If we treat them well, we make their day a little bit more towards heaven and a little bit less hellish. And in that way, everything that we create for the good takes the world into a heavenly direction. The old uh, the old saying was, think globally, act locally. So Martin Luther King had a vision, a dream, and he stated it and and led a movement toward uh, freedom and toward a society in which uh, children could enjoy each other and, and feel safe with each other. So every great movement starts with a dream. Our dream is called Heaven on Earth. And I agree that the world is a mess. There's no question about that. Uh, the question is, what can I do? What can the little person do, as Buckminster Fuller said? So we have to look around at our life and say, where can I make improvements? Where can I improve my life, the life of those around me? And uh, what can I do for, for future generations? Now, let's say somebody's listening and they're like, okay, the manifestation process begins with vision, begins with this receiving of a vision. But I don't have a vision, and it's just not clear. It's not in focus. I don't really have a vision for my life. What could you say to help that person? Well, actually, we say vision would be the second step because it's sixth chakra, and it would start in seventh chakra. What I would say to that person is spend time in emptiness and spend time in the sacred. And that could be a daily meditation where you're quiet It could be, you know, half a day's vow of silence every two weeks. It could be going to a temple or a sacred place in the woods or their church. Um, It could be anything they do in their life to just take some time out of their routine to empty out, to be quiet, to listen, and to go into some experience that for them would be sacred as a way of inviting inspiration and cultivating that as a practice. And though I can't guarantee it, I've seen it happen enough times that if somebody starts doing that, they start to get a vision because they make room for it. Mm -hmm. And And actually the trouble is most people have too many visions and they can't sort out which one to do. And I would say that good preparation for that action is to focus on your own pain. Where are you in pain? Where are you feeling bad about your life or about the world? And then look at the world and see what the world needs. Because in my way of thinking, our own wounds are are given to us in preparation for our greatest purpose, for living out our life purpose. And so our purpose which is connected to the soul, uh, is something that our our soul concocted way back before we came into a body and said, uh, gee, what what wounds do I need to develop the strengths and abilities and wisdom so that I can fulfill my purpose? So to me, whatever the wounds we got were, whatever psychological or spiritual wounds we inherited and lived with, really points to where our purpose is headed. And so we can 
find our purpose by looking backwards into our pain, by looking into the world to see where the world's pain is, and then to say, I want to contribute to making a better world. Now, how do I do that? Where's my best leverage? And then go into the silence and ask for help, ask for a vision, ask for illumination. Wonderful. I've been speaking with Anadea Judith and Lion Goodman. And they are beautiful dance partners, as you can hear in the way that they speak and teach together. And they have co-written a book called Creating on Purpose, the spiritual technology of manifesting through the chakras. Thank you both so much for being with us on Insights at the Edge. Thank you, Tammy. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, Anadea and Lion. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. One journey.